18 months into the pandemic, healthcare workers in hospitals and intensive care units in Oregon are still at it. They're tired, frustrated, and feeling forgotten. It's a tense time, and unvaccinated Oregonians continue to show up at their doors, some failing to believe in the very virus that sent them there in the first place. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, Jeff Manning and Beth Nakamura talk about their recent trip into a critical care unit at Providence Portland Medical Center. We talked about what they saw, how it felt to be in that ward right now, what healthcare workers had to say, and much more. A quick note, you'll hear the acronym CCU for a critical care unit in this episode. Here's our conversation. Jeff Manning, Beth Nakamura, thanks so much for coming on the show. Sure, Andrew. Uh, good to see you, Andrew. Jeff, we're in the midst of this big Delta surge in this country, in this state, and it's kind of hard to picture what exactly that looks and feels like. But you and Beth and our colleague Dave Killen recently went into an intensive care unit in Portland. What does it look like? What I was struck by was uh, what it sounds like. Uh, it is really really quiet you know you you the typical hospital ward things are bustling and people are laughing and there's you know it's just a a a lot of communication and man this place was quiet there was no sound patients are all just knocked out and uh uh the the workers the nurses everybody seems uh down really down and tired and uh it uh it was upsetting really to me beth how about how about you what what sticks with you when you first you know got all suited up and and were in there i mean what was that process like for you uh well i was glad to finally get in to be honest with you you know it's but this has been going on for quite a while now and the hospital doors have been pretty slammed tight you know at least in oregon and i i have worried, you know, as I've tried to gain access to these scenes, have worried about the sanitizing effect of not showing them. Uh, and so it was a relief to me to finally be able to get in there and and show it. That said, uh, you know, I've spent the past year and a half or however long this has been sort of wondering, you know, because this is all invisible, obviously, that, you know, who who among us, you know, is is carrying this and how close am I to them? And, you know, all of those sort of internal questions we ask ourselves in dark moments. Uh, you know, and here I, I knew, you know, there were people just feet away from me who were, you know, basically dying. I mean, they were on life support machines and they had uh, COVID-19. So, you know, that was kind of jarring, I guess. Yeah, I, I I had forgotten that we talked last year, I think, at one point about you trying to get access some you know, it is pretty rare to get that level of access, but it was happening in other states. And obviously, things had worsened here in Oregon. What do you think changed from the hospital's perspective to give you three that access? And what kind of expectations did you have going in? You want to take that, Jeff? Well, I think that what changed was uh, the hospitals are really hurting right now. They're jammed up. Um, they've got the constant input of new patients and they have a bunch of, uh, a bunch of existing patients who are too sick to leave. And they have a bunch of, Mm -hmm. uh, skilled nursing facilities and rehab facilities that don't want them. 
even as they're recovering. And so the fundamental process within the hospitals are broken right now. And they needed, they need to get the word out that they're desperate, they're full. And, you know, they wanted to, they used us and we were happy to participate, you know, because we got access as, as the trade-off. Beth, how do you keep or trust patient confidentiality in a really sensitive moment like that where people are literally, like you said, on ventilators or just unresponsive? I, I've worked for a long time with the, with the comms person uh, over at Providence Portland. And so we have a long-standing relationship with some trust, you know, built over time there. So I think, uh, you know, she reached out to me actually uh, when she was, you know, proposing this story and, you know, I was thrilled. I, I grabbed it, but I think, you know, the kind of thing where like patients are, you know, like hospitals are, are anxious about that, uh, you know, showing, mm-hmm. invading people's privacy and, and all that sort of thing. Even, a, even a simple thing is like a screen, you know, can be disastrous if it shows up in a picture and, you know, there's so much like internet sleuthing and all that stuff. But, um, but, you know, there was a lot of trust there. You know, we had a conversation beforehand, like if, you know, in the course of doing, you know, the photography, things show up, you know, in front of me and, and you know, the, the hospital's getting anxious that I'm showing things. Well, just trust me that later we'll sort this all out. You, we can't have like, you know, interruptions every two minutes of, and negotiating privacy concerns. We just have to shoot first and discuss later as needed and, and, and you know, kind of, uh, in the context of, you know, what is, uh, trust, uh, built over time with them, you know, that, that we'll work this out. What was the process like of suiting up and how long were, were you all physically in the ICU, ICU ward itself? Beth was in there a long time. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. (laughs) Um, I, I was a little freaked out. Um, I have to admit, um, you know, I've been writing about COVID for, from the beginning and, uh, you hear again and again and again uh, how easily it, people can get sick and get infected. And uh, so uh, I was only too happy when they set me up in a adjoining conference room. You know, I interviewed doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists. Mm-hmm. Not that that room was much different than the ward, I don't think. So, yeah, I, I came in with an N95 mask thinking, uh, you know, wow, I'm ultra protected. And the first thing the ladies at the front door of Providence Portland Hospital did was, uh, no, that's not going to work. Because I guess an N95 has these exhaust ports in the front, so it protects the wearer, but it doesn't protect people around them. So I had to put on another paper mask over my N95, and then they gave us a face shield as well. But, you know, that was it. There was no big gown. There was no uh, space-age zombie suit. Um uh, that was the extent of our protection. How hard was it to focus on observing and kind of soaking stuff in and reporting while you were in there? I mean, I, I, like, I think I probably would have fallen on the uh, along the same lines, Jeff. I think I would have been kind of nervous to be in there. But I'm just curious. Uh, obviously, it's our job. But how did you two juggle that? Because it's a, uh, you know, it is a global pandemic, and you're you're in an intensive care unit. Yeah, we're just like basically standing in a hot zone, you know, where I mean, with glass and, and, 
and and shields and that sort of thing protecting us but yeah we were just we were like literally right in it so that's a that's like a whole different thing in some ways it was actually kind of similar to like the process that i usually go through which it just kind of takes me a while to settle in and adjust to the environment that i'm in and it takes people around me a while to adjust to me being in their environment and so there's this like transition phase and then after a while we can all sort of settle in and get down to work and that's a lot of times why i always tell like young photographers or interns whatever just show up early go early go early stay late because at that time you're spending going early everyone sort of gets used to you and you get used to them and that's just like always a thing so you know i guess never is it more a thing when you're in a, a unit where everyone around you you know i don't even know now if if they're still alive you know to be honest with you they were on life support um, and and the the virus was everywhere in that unit. But you know that said, I wasn't. I, I guess maybe I don't know. I wasn't as freaked out as Jeff. Maybe because I like cover. You know, like I've been through so much. You know, since the pandemic started, that I was kind of like um, you know trusting that all of the practices that I've had in place uh, to uh, to stay clean and stay safe, mm-hmm. um, and and the practices uh, by the people. You know, the healthcare workers in that unit. Um, you know, we're effective to the extent that we understand that, you know, and, and a lot of people, I have friends in healthcare uh, and, right. and, and people in that very unit who, and they all kind of say the same thing, which is that I feel safer here than I do in a, you know, I won't say the name of the supermarket, but insert your local supermarket there, you know what I mean? Like, uh, because there's, mm-hmm. you, you, you are controlling for it in that unit and you, 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 you have no control when you're in a random population in a closed environment with all kinds of um, political division and feelings and frankly hubris you know about this virus there's none of that in that unit and it really makes you admire the folks who go up there every day and you know they're going in those rooms they're dealing with you know every sort of bodily function you can think of and that wow day after day and you see what the disease can do, and you're still going in there. Uh, I tell you, they don't get paid enough. Yeah, let's stick with the the um, healthcare workers first before talking about what we know about some of the the patients. But I mean, Jeff, you've been talking to healthcare workers throughout this pandemic on the phone. <laughs> um, how different was it seeing this up close in person, and then sitting down for interviews? Um. Well, yeah, I mean, you just look look at them and they're exhausted and they they feel like they're unappreciated <laughs> and I don't I don't blame them, you know? I mean, that they're literally risking their lives and you know, I guess that's sort of they knew that when they signed up, uh, I suppose, but uh, uh that's that is a lot of that takes a lot of courage and then, you know, they're seeing their peers leave and uh, they're getting a bunch of political flack out there from people who, uh, you know, as, as one emergency room doctor said, and uh, Mm -hmm. somehow this became politicized and instead of parades in their honor, they're getting vilified as somehow pawns in this vast left wing machine that is perpetrating this, myth about the the disease and it's it's really unbelievable you mentioned that some of these workers feel 
you know, there's no longer the banging the pots and pans at 7 p.m. every day like there was at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and that it, they actually feel like they're pawns or people view them as pawns of some, you know, uh, political organization at this point. <laughs> like, where are they getting that? Are they seeing that online or how did, how did they describe where that they're seeing that sentiment? Does that come up in their daily lives or like where are they seeing that? Because I would imagine they're just, you know, working all day every day and they probably don't have much time to gather that in or are they seeing that outside the building you know we're seeing protests down in medford we were talking about this before we started recording my hometown thousands of people outside you know a hospital down there are we seeing that type of stuff up here too or is it just kind of stuff they're absorbing through the ether I think it's that. I think it's they're reading it in the media. Um, there is, uh, you know, th this is uh, Dr. Vicki Sands, who's head of one of the leading emergency room docs there. The emergency room has to take everybody. You know, it's one of those things where right. it's the interface between the general public and the medical fact, you know, the medical industry. So they see everything. And a lot of those people who come through are hostile and angry. Um, I mean, you know, the, the same dynamic that is at work in airplanes where passengers are just, you know, completely out of their minds with anger. They're dealing with that in the emergency room, too. And so they they get all sorts of flack from people who say that, you know, COVID is a myth and uh, uh, it, it is as if they needed that, you know, on top of everything else. Right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Jeff Manning and Beth Nakamura. Beth, your images that you captured from inside Prob Portland were really striking and I'm wondering, why did you decide to run the pictures in black and white? Uh, well, you know, I was uh, going through uh, and doing an initial edit and kind of culling, culling the images down. And when I did sort of a first pass at just basic toning, uh, it, was, it was clear in some of them that the light sources, like there's lighting is like um, you measure it by temperature mm -hmm. and there was like all these different temperatures of lighting in there and that and all mixed up it was just like in in some of those images it was just distracting you know it was distractingly bad you know when you mix it all up there's no way to get an accurate um overall uh light in in there so you know i was kind of like well let me see if i do this and i just if i if i kind of make everything black and white then i sort of solve that problem everything gets kind of cleaned up and then um also you know, I think the choice of going with black and white also had something to do with trying to provide a sense of sort of a pause on on the work, you know, on Jeff's story and and the images and and Dave's video. I think if you use the choice to use black and white, um, it, it calls attention to something a little more mm -hmm. uh, and readers will spend a little more time with it. Um, and and I also think it, it has the effect of putting putting the subject in sort of stark relief. So I think um, it solved the mixed temperature problem and, and it helped call attention uh, a little more carefully to, to the material. There's a lot of competition for a reader's attention, you know, and I think now, yes, now more yeah. than ever, <laughs> that's, that's true. And I think in a story like this, um, 
I I I was was hoping to 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 for readers to stay a little with this story. What can you tell us about some of the the patients that were in there that day, Jeff? If anything, I mean, are they all from the Portland area, and like, how young are they? Are they vaccinated? Do we what do we know about the people who were at Prague, Portland, when you were there? Huge majority uh, are unvaccinated. Um, they are there are some from out of state that were moved in and needed an intense level of care. They are out of it. They're unconscious. Um, they've been. They're in medically induced comas, and uh, some of them have been there for months. They had they've had one they had one patient who's since been discharged who was there for more than a year. I mean, if you get a really bad case of COVID, um, you're going to be really sick and in the hospital for months, um, and you're hooked up to uh, artificial or, or heart and lung bypass machines. And, you know, I asked one of the medical professionals there, what is the impact of long-term sedation like this? And they said, we don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Um, I mean, they're, they're in uncharted waters now. They're just trying to save these people, keep them alive. And they're really feeling beat up because they're losing a lot of patients and they're, there was a great quote from the nursing manager of the CCU who said, in the first phase of COVID, we had a lot of great saves um, mm-hmm. and we had good numbers. And that's not happening anymore with the, with the uh, Delta variant. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I was wondering if we have a sense of why that is. Is it is it just because there's so many more people who are contracting it now and it's so much more virulent? Um, or is it just the disease itself? I mean, what do the healthcare um, workers say? Is it just the Delta variants that much more dangerous? Yes. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, but to put it simply, it is a different different virus that has different characteristics it, it really gets you sick faster and sicker, younger. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, for a lot of reasons. It's a, it's a more frightening, more daunting virus. So, Beth, we kind of alluded to this early, earlier that um, you've been fairly busy over the last 18 months, <laughs> to say it, to put it mildly. Um, how how did this assignment compare to you know the the work um, out in the streets that you uh, covering the racial justice protests and aftermath? Um, how was this different for you? Uh, well, I, I, on a lighter note, uh, when I when I put the uh, the, the the plastic uh, shield over my face, uh, one of the I think it was a healthcare worker said, "Sorry, you know, sorry you have to wear that." And I said, "Sorry, you have to shoot through that." And I said, "Oh, hey." <laughs> <laughs> I should. I do shoot I have a story for mat. you? Yeah. Do I have a story <laughs> yeah. for you? Like this is actually this is nothing, you know. And if so, and if it were something, you'd be here to help me, you know. So that was yeah. pretty funny. Um, how does it compare? You know, I I am I I did think right away of you know at the outset of the pandemic at the outset hey, hey, of the pandemic. Can I interrupt? Yeah. Beth, oh, please. That was really really good what you just said, but I think you for the readers or for the listeners. I think you should say explicitly what you're talking about that I've, I've coming from the streets 
where I'm wearing a freaking gas mask. And compared yeah, yeah. to that, this was nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was a little bit like talking with Andrew instead of talking to the, yeah. to the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, co- coming from covering protests over, you know, s- several months uh, and, and having to wear a gas mask all the time, you know, having a plastic shield over my face is nothing really, you know. And, and if it were something, I know the healthcare workers are right there to help me, you know, so... Uh, so yeah, that was that was a lighthearted moment there uh, too, and it was frankly good to laugh about it. Um, uh, how does it compare? You know, one one thing that occurred to me was you know at the at the outset of the of the uprising, you know, in the very beginning, you know, when when eight plus thousand people were were on bridges in Portland, shutting down bridges, and we were so you know, we were just jam packed on there like sardines. And, you know, that's a crowd that that really masks up. So everyone was masked up, but we really, we had no data. We had no anecdotal data. We had nothing. So, so, you know, there were moments and I, I talked to other journalists, friends of mine, and they, they share this experience with me um, that, that I didn't know if this was going to be my last assignment. I didn't know if we were all going to die. I had no idea. You know, I just thought, am I, am I, I, I remember standing there and stopping what I was doing and just looking around and saying, this might be it. You know, am, am I okay with this? You know, it was like, we, we, we truly were in, uh, in a, in a situation that was both historic, but also there were just so many unknowns. So, um, you know, and then and fast forward to an entirely different political landscape, much more divided, um, uh, and and in a setting where I, I actually did know uh, that that people around me had the virus, and um, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about it. I, you know, <laughs> what else to it's say? A lot, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to it's a lot to digest it's a lot to go through, but it's also about. a lot to, for them to go through. It's a lot for healthcare workers to go through. You know, I, I, a friend of mine, separate from this, who who works in healthcare uh, and and in COVID, you know, you know, was mm-hmm. has privately, you know, was sitting around having a drink, and you know. She, she didn't sign on for this. You know, that, that was what she said. It's like, you know, a lot of people are having to pivot to COVID and it's sort of like, they're not, you know, adrenaline junkie ER docs, you know, they're, 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 that wasn't really, you know, that wasn't really their, their jam, you know? And, and so suddenly they're thrust in situations that are frankly traumatic for everyone, including them. And then add to that, you know, a layer of like, just, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to say it without, without you having to bleep me, but it's just a cultural mess, you know, and, and, yeah. and all of that bearing down on them as they're caring for, for, you know, for the dead, the, the dying and the dead who in, in a lot of cases still uh, will still don't really believe that what is happening to them uh, is what it is. And I, I hear that directly from, you know, this is outside of work conversation. So, yeah. Um, that's, that's mind numbing and, uh, and, and maddening. And I just, you know, being in that unit, it kind of broke me open. It's one thing to know that and to read all about it and to stay on top of it and to, you know, uh, to, to just try to do the best I can to understand it day by day. Um, it's another thing to, to step inside a unit and, and listen to nurses, uh, say, you know, that, well, I just had my piece of candy for lunch uh, and you know s- stuff like that. I mean, I, I I felt like there were moments in there where I was just sort of broken open by that, you know. And and I I, I wish that 
I wish that people in the community could experience what I did and to just witness that um, and what people are going through. Um, it's grim. It was grim. Yeah. It came across in the in the images you shot and the and uh, the interviews Jeff you conducted and and in uh, Dave's video. Uh, trust me that that came across. You know we like to think in the newsroom that we work hard, that what we do is important, uh, and that some of it is really hard, like Beth out in the streets at night dealing with night after night after night of unrest. Um, but there's an there's always an element of fun, you know. There's something about stories, most stories, that can be not only rewarding and hard, but great, very rewarding. Wow! In that CCU, that is a whole different deal. That is literally life and death, and you know, I'm not used to that, and uh, I I was shaken. Yeah. I am. Uh, before we started recording, I was telling you both about my uh, a friend of mine from high school and childhood who's a nurse down in Medford who uh, was featured in the Mail Tribune talking about her experience down there. And uh, I have to say, it was, it's pretty devastating to to watch people you, you knew who were just putting it on the line every day for their community that they grew up in and. And to have thousands of people outside protesting vaccines while they're inside saving people's lives, um, most of whom are unvaccinated. It's just a it's a mental <laughs> gymnastics uh, exercise that is just exhausting. Uh, I can't believe this is our existence. Did they talk about the vaccine hesitancy piece at all? Uh, any of the health, health experts you talked to, uh, Jeff? Well, that was the whole point. I mean, this thing, in a sense, was fairly carefully orchestrated by the hospital. Uh, and they, every healthcare worker that we talked to, they were really open and candid. And they didn't really mince words. But uh, the message was clear. Get the frickin' vaccine now. It's irresponsible not to. And that's why they wanted to show the grim reality, I think, is because you know, we've plateaued in Oregon in terms of vaccinations and uh, the folks who are left, I mean, you know, down in Southern Oregon, it can be 50% of the population. I'm sorry. It's garbage day in Beaverton. It's, Let me go close. Garbage, it's garbage day in, in North Portland, too. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's hip hop day here. So I don't know if you caught that, but. All right. We're almost done. <laughs> was like my... My kid getting out of the shower with his like music blaring. I'm like, ah. The beauty of podcasts from home in month yeah. 18 of the pandemic. <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> still generating solid waste. Uh, so I guess just to wrap up, I mean, what else will you take away from this reporting experience or anything else that I should have asked you? No, hold on. Let me think. Um, you know, as I said before, it was a tough place to see. It, it was a tough place to be. And it was a, it was things really hard to look at. Uh, the patients were prone on their stomach in hopes that it would help them breathe. Um, and uh, so I couldn't really see their faces. And I didn't, I didn't really want to. And uh, I just, it made me admire those healthcare workers so much. Not to mention Beth, who spent a lot of time in there. Um, and uh 
it is uh, it's re the real deal in there. And for anybody to criticize those people, that is beyond the pale to me. I guess one thing that occurs to me uh, is, you know, you, you talked earlier about how this has become so politicized and has really underscored, um, you know, this uh, never ending divide in the United States. Um, I, you know, if you look at uh, the history of um, like public health and um, uh, pandemics and that sort of thing, you know, it's kind of just like in the playbook not to let politicians sort of take the wheel with this stuff because there's always going to be a section of the, of the population that's not going to trust that uh, man or woman and that will go the other way. And so, you know, I've just observed throughout this um, this sort of irresistible pull, and I totally understand it, where I just feel like this entire thing has been, um, you know, with uh, mic'd up politicians, um, and, and I get it, but I also think it's not helpful. I, I think we, we need to um, hear more from um, scientists uh, who, by the way, aren't exactly like communicators for the most part. You know what I mean? Like we, we kind of rely on yeah. um, complicated systems to kind of get that word out. And often there's, 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 there's weak links in those, in that chain, but it's never been more important that, that scientists take the wheel, physicians, nurses, uh, people, you know, who, um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you ask this question, what, what else do you have to say? And it's just sort of like, I just feel like, uh, I, I don't, I don't have, I, I don't, cause it just feels very broken and I, and that's very depleting and that's, you know what, that's how a lot of them feel in there. So that's it. That's all I got. Thank you both for your reporting and taking time to talk about it. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that was grand, man. <laughs> cause I'm like, <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? I'm like, I have nothing left to say. It's all broken. Bye. <laughs> that's how I feel. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Jeff, Beth, and videographer Dave Killen's dispatch from Providence, Portland in the episode notes. Spend some time to watch Dave's video. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. Or tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.